Welcome back to the Film Experience. It's a surprise pop-up edition of the podcast. And guess who I have with me this time? Nick Davis, the long-lost Nick Davis. I'm sure there are people at the site who are like, who? <laughs> <laughs> it was Zendaya was not alive when we last did this. I <laughs> it's true. And you, um, but people do ask about you in the comments. Like, oh. is Nick okay? Because you've been gone for so long. I know. I know. I've I've pulled a... Who's done this? Who's like Garbo. left us, you know, for a long time and gone back? <laughs> well, not I'm reclusive now. Never came back. Yeah, you're a recluse. No, you're a professor. You you have your busy life. I do. I do. <laughs> Don't we all? So we were discussing by text the other day, um, just to clue people into our conversation that we didn't know what each other, what we thought of the movies this year. So we thought we'd have a little chat. Yeah, or sometimes we just know like a star rating, but we haven't gotten into that. And I felt like getting to talk to you of all people before everybody starts telling us which movies to still talk about and which ones we don't have to talk about anymore (laughs) would just be nice. Yes. And yeah, because we all have feelings about award season and, Mm -hmm. you know, the sort of homogeny of of homogenous opinions that starts happening. so can I ask you a question? Sure. So, and I don't care if the answer is something I've seen or I haven't seen, but at this point, like, what is the movie that you are, that you think about the most? Um, it's just kind of like living with you. I'm guessing it means you probably love it at some level, but mm. maybe it's just the one that you're just like, that's my movie right now. Um, well, I have two answers to that. Um, so worst person in the world, the Norwegian movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Power of the Dog. Wow, okay. But I've seen them both multiple times. So, I mean, worst person only twice, but uh, Power of the Dog I've seen three times. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why, that's part of why they're taking up mental real estate, but also just because I just totally love them. And I know you're a little more reserved on those two, but I don't know I, details. A little more than you. Well, like, I, I rewatched Power of the Dog last night because I figured we would talk about it today. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, I'm not, I'm still like the same person and stuff. Like I'm still sitting at my computer, like the person I always was, right? <laughs> He's showing um, a Jane Campbell t-shirt. Yeah. I'm just disrobing while we talk. <laughs> um, I like Power of the Dog. I'm just in a like, like, not love place. And like, I kind of, this is the kind of stuff that's like hard to tweet. So yeah, that's why I stopped tweeting <laughs> like that. I'm so happy that the movie's trying to do so many interesting things with the same small set of like characters and tricky ideas. It doesn't really land with me as though all those different ambitions necessarily unite in a way that totally lands for me. Um, But ambitions. But ambitions. (laughs) Ambitions. And like a movie that's like, what if we started from like, we should frame the shots. We could even light them, you know, like, <laughs> uh, you know, you can't take that shit for granted anymore. So it's a movie movie. It's a movie movie. Yeah. 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 I forget which movie you were saying this about that. It was just so, oh, I was Tick, Tick, Boom. I oh, believe yeah. you were saying it about that was in your letterbox review that was you just thought, thought the framing and the shot choices were just completely random. They seemed that way. Yeah. I don't I don't know why we're. Yeah. Yeah, and Belfast also. Like, is this, like, on shuffle? Could we watch this in any order we want? 
Because it yeah, sort of seems like we could. You mean the scenes themselves, the construction? I mean the scenes themselves, although yeah. the camera I didn't always totally understand either. There's just been a lot of that. But it's it means it's like sticking out now when I think a movie... I felt this way last year, too. I mean, last year was like the first time I looked at the cinematography nominations and was like, oh, okay. And that's usually a category where I'm like, anybody could win. These are all great. Yeah. And I think we have a problem at the moment. Yeah. But well, Power we, of the we, Dog, yeah. Yes, Power of the Dog actually frames the shots and lights them. And another movie I would say does that really well is Passing. Mm-hmm. Love the cinematography in that movie. Um, mm-hmm. But then, weirdly, it doesn't seem to have the Oscar buzz. So, what are you going to do? I have lots to say about Passing. But I want to ask, <laughs> and maybe people already know this, but is there a... Well, you can pick either of these questions. Is there a part of the power of the dog that's getting the most interesting to you by continuing to rewatch it? Or uh, is there a performance that you're most kind of glomming onto? This will be a, a strange way to answer, but I think the, the thing that I'm thinking about the most is what didn't work for me completely the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not, I, I do think it's the weakest element of the movie. However, watching it multiple times is, is interesting in that, uh, like I felt the weakest thread is uh, Rose's alcoholism. Yes. Um, however, watching it multiple times, it's not like that it solves the problem. It's just that um, because it just seems to come out of nowhere. I don't know if you saw Respect, the Aretha Franklin biopic. I have not yet. Okay, so that has the same problem, only tenfold because it's not Jane Campion directing. Um, in Which that, is a problem everywhere in life. Right. It, it's like, did Jane Campion direct it? No. Moving on. <laughs> um, That's so, right. Well, in in the Aretha Franklin biopic that came out in the summer, for those who haven't seen it, you know Jennifer Hudson. You know she sings really well and she's you know doing doing the thing, and then all of a sudden in the movie, just for the third act or whatever, she's like a completely wasted, you know, alcoholic, drug-addled mess. And it, there's just no, there's nothing in the performance earlier to suggest an addictive personality or, like, it's just, it just comes out of the blue. And, and I think it's because it's the biopic tropes that, with with respect. Yeah. Um, that you just assume you're going to go along for the ride, but you actually do have to do storytelling there, too. You can't just have your walk hard bingo card out of like, right. it must be time for the alcoholism. Yeah. And so it just comes from the blue. So it just doesn't read well at all in terms of like a, a performance because mm-hmm. like, why didn't you allude to this in your characterization? Why, like it, but that's true of the filmmaking and the acting. Mm-hmm. But I do think with power of the dog, it's handled much better than that. Um, but it's still, it's still kind of rushed con- considering everything else is very slow burn. Um, but I will say that Kirsten Dunn's performance within that has really grown on me. Mm-hmm. Like, I love the scene now and I didn't really think much of it now, but one of my favorite scenes now is when she, uh, gives the hides away. Oh, uh-huh. Um, and they give her those gloves, mm-hmm. as a, um, as a sort of exchange. Um, and just her reaction to the gloves is so oversized and, I just, I find it very moving because, you know, she has no like warmth and tenderness in, in her life. And 
And then it's just like that tactile thing. And Jane Campion's so good at anything tactile. Yeah. And you know, she's touching something and just completely moved by how soft and comforting it is. Yep. And I'm like, that is so a Jane Campion thing because it's always about like, you can always feel like you can taste and touch and smell the movies. Yep. So even when they probably don't smell that good, which is my (laughs) guess about this one and the piano. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a great point. And it's the kind of thing that, um, I could have stood to, for example, watch that character wear those gloves. Like there's a scene shortly after where she's just in bed wearing them. Right. And I think it might be while her husband is trying to raise her game a little bit. Um, and like, it's so unclear whether that crazy visual of her in those mittens is a sign of somebody who's like actually connected with something or actually she's just getting worse. Like we're still in like weird free fall and like we maybe have to decide that, which was a, when you put it that way, makes me realize that to me felt like a more interesting way to spend time with that character than scenes. I mean, this sounds so catty, but like, um, I didn't feel like Kristen Dunst acting of that character was often giving me a lot. And sometimes I felt like maybe one thing that I have a reservation about with this movie in general is that there are times where like the shots are so beautiful. They're lit so carefully. At least people have thought about framing, but it sometimes feels like the camera might not be where I want it to be in relationship to these performances. Like Benedict Cumberbatch is already acting like this. So it doesn't also have to be super tight and like low angle underneath his scary face while he's scary. And Kirsten Dunst, I felt like there are some shots like when she's at the dinner table with the governor and like her loneliness is so poignant. And that's like a perfect example of where the camera should be while she's just like slouched and feeling like a loser. Yeah. But, um, but there are a lot of scenes when she's drunk, especially where the camera is just super far away. And I don't know that I think of her as an actress when she's not cheerleading, who like you get a lot from her in from her long shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't even know that I want to put it on her, but it still it still feels like a passage of the movie where I, I kind of lose that character. Although watching it again, I felt like I got more from her up to that kind of halfway point. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's my least favorite part of the movie, but the truth is I just completely love the movie. So yep. saying least favorite part is like, yep. Kind of point. It's just an asterisk. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I do, I do still find that whole character arc moving. And I also love that it's, I mean, I don't think people in general love this, even some critics when things stay ambiguous, but I love that Campion leaves tons of room for me in the movie, even though it's very tightly constructed. Like, yeah. I was like, how does Rose feel about George? Yeah. Because that's a very, like, you know, in a lesser movie, I would think the actors aren't doing enough or the script is not doing enough. Yep. Clue me in, but in in, in Campion's hands, I know that's sp- supposed to be for me to decide. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and how does... um, I'm, I know Cody Smith-McPhee has a name in the movie. I just can't yeah. think of it. Peter. How does he think about George? And like, this is like in a, in a 1925 setting where you expect you might be with a female character who's like, my problem is that I can't make my own money or have my own life. And like, you actually start with one who is sort of in that situation who like precipitously gives it up for this like stolid, but kind guy. 
Yeah. Um, is that a crazy decision? Does her son think it's a crazy decision? Um, I feel the same way about those ambiguities. I don't always feel like she's his mom. I have to say that too, but, um, but I don't know if it's about the way they emotionally relate. And like, part of that is because of things that do feel specific to the characters. Like, you know, he calls her Rose. He, he, they talk to each other like they're peers. Like, so I, in one, in some ways, I think that's actually like a positive point in the movie's favor. It's trying to do something else in other ways. I don't know. They just, you know, in the way you sometimes just have to be like, I did not feel like that person was that person's parent. I just didn't totally. Which happens a lot in movies actually. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And like, maybe sometimes we get embarrassed to just mess up. But yeah, um, yeah, but I it agree. Doesn't that actually like seem that concerned with that too, because like in what universe are Benedict and uh, Jesse Plemons related? Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, right. Which is also like what Benedict's character is thinking all the time, right? Like I yeah. fucking love you in my way, but like what the fuck? You know? Yeah. Um, I agree about one of the things I really like about the movie is the unpredictable relationship of things that are made unbelievably clear um, and things that are left open. I also feel like things that happen slow and things that happen fast are in a weird relationship in that movie. And and I enjoyed that more this time instead of being just kind of puzzled by it. Well, I could talk about this movie for an hour, but we have to cover because I haven't heard your opinion on anything. So you have to answer your own question. What is the movie that you're thinking about all the time? Um, the, the near term answer of like things that are in their kind of first moment right now is definitely passing, which you've already brought up. Um, Mm -hmm. the, like, I think about Zola every day, at least twice. Um, (laughs) both of those are movies I already taught this quarter. I've been trying more often to fill my classes with like, this is out now. You have to be complicated about movies that are out now. Um, so I've sat with them with students. Um, so that's the like this one hasn't gone away from me for months and and passing which I was really looking forward to because I've been teaching that book for like 15 years and I wasn't sure I wanted to see a movie version of it and mm-hmm. I like this movie version of it so much. Are you yeah. where are you? Oh, I love both of them. They're both going to be in my top 10. Spoiler alert. Yay! Top 10 list. Um So yeah, I love both of those movies. Um uh, and passing might be related to well, one thing is like you probably watched the Hollywood Reporter roundtable, but I loved the moment when Tessa Thompson and Kirsten Dunst were like, I think our characters would actually like each other, and I think we're going through some of the same like. She's not just scared of Benedict Cumberbatch; she's scared of the idea of him. They're almost never in the same space, but she's allowed herself to get terrorized by the notion that he might be around and. Tessa Thompson was saying, I think that's what Irene's doing in passing. Like everything she's going through with Claire is sometimes from Claire, but sometimes just from what she associates with Claire. Yeah. Um, I did not watch that round table yet, but. um, Oh, that's a good moment. Yeah. That's really interesting. But I think passing is another movie where it helps probably if you've read the novel and kind of know the tempos, but like some things happen super fast and some beats are drawn out for a long time. And um, did you come into it pretty new? Yeah, I had not read the book and um, I mean, I knew the vague plot um, Mm -hmm. and I, I will say that it appeals to me in the same way that power of dog does actually. And that, there's just so much room for me. Like every single relationship in that 
movie I have feelings about and I can conjecture what the characters are feeling, but it's really subtle about about those things. Mm-hmm. So it leaves it leaves plenty of room for you to interpret. Like yep. is it a queer film for people don't always agree fully, but I think it is. Yep. Um and then it's not just Irene's feelings for Claire. It's just her her relationship with her husband is so interesting and mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it feels lived in, but at the same time it doesn't feel connected, which I think is a really interesting dynamic for the actors to play. Yep. Um and you know, so things like that I just really really enjoy about that movie. And their different parenting styles is such an such a great thread that isn't like hammered home. Yep. But it's just there all the time that they yep. don't aren't simpatico as parents at all either. Completely. Um and then her relationship to uh, Irene's relationship to uh, the Bill Camp character mm-hmm. is feels especially queer. Yep. You know, like like maybe he's closeted and, and she's also closeted. Like it just like their friendship is very. Um... Anyway, I just love that movie. It, it, there's so much room to feel about things in it, and it's so short, which you know how I feel about that. I do. I do on this morning after you saw House of Gucci. <laughs> um, I agree with all of that. And I feel like that's an, that's definitely a movie, especially for somebody's first movie, you know, to be that um, detailed about things like framing and sound, which mm-hmm. I think is incredible in passing. Um, but the scene you were making me think of about the marriage dynamics, there's a, there's a moment like two thirds of the way into the movie, maybe where Irene and her husband, Brian are at a table fighting about um, he's trying to say something about their marriage and she keeps making it about Claire. And he's super frustrated that I'm, I'm genuinely not thinking about her right now, but you think I'm (laughs) the one who's obsessed with her. Like, and in that whole scene, when he's talking, there's some of Irene in the shot, like he's definitely talking to her. And when she rejoinders, it's only tight on her. And every single thing she says, she is saying to Brian, but it's so obviously something she's also only saying to herself and is failing to get outside her own head in this conversation. Yeah. And like, that's the kind of like, just shaping of the scene that I think I've now seen it like three times that there's just so much of that, that even beyond the surface impression of how gorgeous and kind of weirdly eccentric the movie looks um, and sounds, you just keep finding more. Like I had a student who... um by the time you get to the party where she drops the teapot mm-hmm. and the Bill Camp character comes over and says whatever he says, like, you know, well done. And you kind of can't tell if he's saying that just to her or for the whole room because the sound has been so weird. You don't know yeah. what he means by, like, <laughs> by that. Um, and you're given so many questions that don't feel like sloppy questions. I think the movie's so good at that. Yeah. And also the cinematography it's just so there's so much black and white this year, but it, it so often to me feels like an affectation as opposed to an artistic choice. Yep. And this movie really makes use of it because it, and it's not just that it's the, it's not just how directly it comments on racial politics, Yep. but, but just the way you look at things, you know, and like yep. how much of a grayscale you see or like how, how, diametrically opposed two people can look in the same, in the same shot, you know, and 
And there's a lot of that in the movie where you see two characters, a lot of two shots that are lit so interesting so that there's differentiation between the characters, even though they're both in the frame. Yep. And yeah, it's amazing. And I don't understand why that doesn't have like, even if the movie is not going to go over well in general, I don't understand why that's not a lock for a cinematography nomination. I also find it so hard to know if that movie's going over well. I mean, I remember getting on Netflix like a week ago and seeing it was like number six and like passing is the sixth most watched movie. in the country. That's so great, you know, and like definitely would not happen in another release platform, but it also just means it's hard to know who's watching or what they think of it yeah. in a way. But that comment about the black and white, I also feel like, um, I don't think it's just me. I think people say this a lot that in black and white, you maybe I respond even more to just like, the posture of somebody in the frame or like the bearing of their body and just the way that shapes look. Um, yeah. And for Irene, who is constantly thinking about even in those early scenes in like the toy shop and the, and then when she goes to get tea, like, is she striking a pose to try to not be recognized? Is she striking one to try to look amazing? Is she not striking one, but she just does this by reflex right now, but it just looks like she's, um, so self-conscious about every kind of micron of her embodiment. Yeah. Um, and even though which is why, so much yeah, fun. which is why the Ruth thing is like, you know, not just the charisma of Ruth Nega, but like, you know, <laughs> which is part of why it's a queer film. Cause every single person wants to be with Ruth Nega after yeah. that movie. But yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And I, and I like, I will say that uh, Ruth Nega is like, I, I have always thought she was a good actor, but like I've never responded this well to her. So I'm mm-hmm. suddenly like, oh, okay, because Murtada's like a huge fan, and you know we've talked about her, and like I didn't really understand like why people thought she was Oscar worthy for Loving, for mm-hmm. example. Um, but this one, I'm just like, wow, because it's <laughs> yeah, such, it, it's not just the movie star elements of the turn, but it's just such a tricky, tricky character. They could go yes. wrong in so many different ways. And she's like just nailing everything. And it's like, it's all the contradictions and all the char- charismatic requirements, plus all the emotional stuff between the characters and what's on set. I mean, she's doing so many things in every scene. Yep. But it doesn't feel self-conscious as, as like an, a performance. Whereas like Tessa Thompson's self-consciousness is per, is her performing it, yep. but it also doesn't feel like they're both so good in the movie. I, they're both so good in the movie. Yep, completely. Yeah. So what else besides passing? So I think I don't know anything about your thoughts about Come On, Come On, which is another movie I loved and I just saw. Um, I I have trouble with that one just because like, I keep vacillating on it about how hmm. much I like it. Like When I first saw it, I was like, oh, you know, top five. And then like a week later, I was like, did I just respond that way? Because Mike Mills makes me cry type of thing. Well, yeah. (laughs) And then, but then it's not like, I do know for sure that I don't like it as much as his other movies. Uh Like I don't like it as much as beginners or 20th century women. Um, But I keep vacillating how much I, do I like it? Do I love it? I need to see it again. Yeah. Because I saw it in this week where, I mean, this is 
the fall in general. I saw it in this week, week where I was seeing so many different things and it's sort of like blurred with everything. Yeah. So I need to see it again because seeing something again helps a lot with, you know, vacillation. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. And I relate to that a little bit. Like I, I definitely left the theater loving it and the things that, that, you know, maybe I loved slightly less. It's like you're saying, I think it's probably my third favorite of those three Mike Mills movies, yeah. but it's sort of like, I don't know if I like Emerald as much as gold and platinum. I'm not sure, <laughs> you know, like, but, um, but maybe for a filmmaker who in both of those other movies, it's like every space, like we've been talking about with passing and power of the dog, like every space between every scene, every space between every character, like I is, is like half the movie, you know, like all yeah. that kind of unsaid stuff. And like, I don't think Come On, Come On is very mysterious that way. And if I have any, um, you know, like the the space between all the family stuff and all the interviewing of kids stuff feels like I'm not positive I need those to be in the same movie in a way. But but the directness, which is not the thing I most value in his other movies, is so refreshing about like sometimes kids are assholes and we love them and we're not even asking them to be different, but we are frustrated by them. Or like, you know, has it been since like the savages that I've seen two adult siblings have that layered uh, yeah. relationship? Um, and the casting. So we were talking about power of the dog, like, but the cast, like it's such great casting. I absolutely bought that they were brother and sister. Yep. Completely. Which I don't usually in movies. <laughs> Usually I just accept it. Like it's, it's just, it's, you accept it to go along. Right. That's the sister. Let's go. Yeah, Yeah, totally. But, and I, I, maybe, you know, this, um, I kept wondering like, is Joaquin Phoenix on the phone with her when they filmed this? Cause Gabby Hoffman's giving this performance with nothing except the phone for the whole movie like jesus i mean even if he was on the phone the idea that you can act you can tell me that much about a character when basically every single one of your scenes is just you um Mm -hmm. that kind of blew me away yeah yeah and it was nice to see maybe just because like i'm not a big fan of joker but it was nice to see joaquin play somebody who wasn't um he's still complicated but he's not at all like toxic or um absolutely or you know he's just a normal guy type of thing yeah on a lot of levels which was nice it's so nice to see because he usually gets cast as these like outrate people somehow yes and and then he gets up when he wins a prize and seems so fragile and just wants people to stop eating meat please and (laughs) i think that side of him is never is very rarely solicited. And that's where I have another question about like, did he interview all those kids for all those scenes in the movie early in the production process? Because if part of what that did was loosen him up into that kind of tenderness and humility, like I I get why it's in the movie um, even more. And, or is he just able to show up on the set and achieve that kind of bond with Woody Norman? Oh, look, look at this little cat that I'm looking at. I'm sorry to all the podcast listeners who don't get to see this. Um, I think Woody Norman's incredible. Like, that's a real child performance. Yeah. Like, wow, wow. And he's British. I, this, this, this blows my mind. I had no idea. 
Yes, I mean, I. I he also to... seems to be thinking about everything he's. I mean, just like, I mean, that's what the character's doing too. But like, he's not just like a kid with crazy impulses. Yeah. Doesn't know. I mean, my pet peeve of the season, and it feels so uh, evil to to complain about child performances, but like, my pet peeve of the season is like, you know, little Jude Hill from Belfast getting nominations for things. I was like, he's cute. Yeah. That can be enough. You don't have to like, you don't have to give him an award or nominate him for something. It's you know, he's a yep. little kid. Yep. And whereas this is a child performance where I'm like, that is an actor. Yep. A very good actor. So yes, yep. by all means, if you want to shower him with awards, do so. Do your thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I shouldn't harp on that. This is really bugging me when I see. Them in, I'm listed in the same category, which they're going to keep being in for breakthroughs or child performance awards or whatever. It's just like it's not, so it's not apples and oranges. It's like apples and like doorknobs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, is there another movie that you're? I mean, you signaled some like this is what I kind of weigh or go back and forth on with these other movies. But is there one where you're really stuck? Like you don't know how you feel. I don't care from when in the year. Um, I was going to be prepared for this by having my letterbox thing handy. Um, I, you know, I, this kind of happens to me every year, but the, the ones I get, you know, stuck on and I try to think about them independently from the Oscar race. Cause I feel that's a huge problem with film mm-hmm. journalism and film criticism and everything is like, I love the Oscars. Everybody knows what's about me, but I don't need it to color my views of movies. And I, it just makes me crazy that that's the only way certain movies are talked about. Right. Um, I was like, no, how about let's, let's discuss them as a movie first and then we can get yeah. to awards potential or whatever. So what happens each year is that some of the big movies that are, you know, expected to do well, I get really nervous about my feelings about them because I'm like, are, is this colored by how other people are responding to them and all the Oscar hoopla or not, not Oscar hoopla. So all the stuff that's in the middle ground for me, like I like it, but like how much do I like it and how mm-hmm. do I protect my own opinion from everybody nominating it for everything? So I'm kind of doing that with, um, with uh, Belfast and Dune and licorice pizza and stuff like that, where I, I totally get why people love them, but at the same time, I have like many reservations, but I also mm-hmm. don't want to have a backlash feeling where I'm like, right. just, just like, no, it's not good because everybody else thinks it's great. I see. You know, um, and, and I, so uh, in those cases where I'm in the middle, I try to, you know, not let other people's opinions affect me, but also try to read stuff that's both pro and con and see mm-hmm. Yep. So one of the most interesting movies to read about, oddly enough, for me this season has been King Richard. Oh, uh-huh. I just found I've written I've read a lot of like interesting takes on it. Uh-huh. Um and it just doesn't seem like the type of movie that would inspire interesting articles. Especially so in concept. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's so conventional in both execution and and like um premise and genre. Yep. Um, I mean, my feelings about Dune are pretty clear. I should 
you know, I shouldn't have included that in, in the statement because to me it's gorgeous and super well made, but it's happy movie. So I just don't have a ton of fondness for it because mm-hmm. I'm like, just make a four hour movie and give me an intermission. Like you've never said this to me in the 20 years <laughs> we've been friends. Just make a four hour movie. I just don't like tr- treating it like it's a movie when it ends just as it's getting started. Like I'm yeah. Like that, that's my, I can't get over that. I've seen it twice. I mean, I felt the exact same way both times. Like, hmm. like I, I'm really sort of into it and then it's just over and there's no, I'm unsatisfied, you know. And you already knew where the story was going? Well, I sort of, I'd seen, I'd seen the David Lynch and, uh, uh-huh. and I basically know, and, a couple episodes probably of that TV show they did about years ago. Um, oh yeah. So, I mean, I know the basic story, but like, I, I thought it was, there's so many things I like about it, but I just, my end feeling is unsatisfied. Okay. And my end feeling and like constant feeling was like, wow. Like, and I didn't know, like, if you're ever in Chicago at a movie theater and somebody has like got their head between their knees and is trying not to watch a preview or even see an it, it's probably me or it could be me. Like I didn't want to know anything. Um, yeah. And I'd never seen the David Lynch until afterward. And even just as like a installation almost, I mean like that's like too strong a word, but like, I had this conversation with Tim Roby who was saying like my, his, his qualm about a lot of the production design was that it just felt like there's no place to sit in any of these (laughs) places. And it just feels um, not particularly lived in. Um, And also maybe besides outside of color scheme, not all that differentiated. And I felt like that was the kind of thing where it's like, I'm looking at a lot of opulence that also does not anticipate a lot of actually alive people having lives feels like an amazing way to think about this far in the future. Like so much has gotten bigger and more elaborate and magnificent. And also clearly almost everybody has died or like life expectancy is minimal. And like, nobody gives a shit if you have a chair, like that (laughs) all of that sort of, that felt like part of the world building that the movie was constantly doing to me of just like meditating on like, this isn't just a plot about like, there's only one element left that anybody wants and we're still fighting about how to extract it. But like, this is what the world looks like if you spend 10,000 years doing that. Like um, I don't even like, and maybe too, because Zendaya was the only, I feel bad for her because it's a weird way to be interpolated into a movie where your character is not going to have much to do yet. But whoever wrote the review who said like, she's the one performer who doesn't necessarily seem like on the frequency of everybody else. Like she just feels like a kind of gal in 2021 who's like just chillaxing or, or mm-hmm. getting ready to find whatever she's doing. Like I had no curiosity about getting to the point that we haven't gotten to yet in Dune. I was happy to just, hang out in these weird ass audiovisual spaces that were so overwhelming. Um, mm. So you felt you were very satisfied. Then. I was really satisfied. And then I had no idea. There were like five of us in the theater and like the woman who told me in our conversation afterward that she was 67 I was like, great job. I would have said 42, but like she was <laughs> like five seats away and she said she's read Dune like 20 times and has been waiting for this since, 
the seventies yeah. for somebody to really do it. And, um, it did color it even a little bit further that I just had this amazing experience as a neophyte and then to be with like a Pentecostal who was so happy <laughs> and talked to me for like 25 minutes after it was over. Um, anyway, yeah, I have a lot of fondness for that one, but I do get what you're saying and it feels like a movie that's worth having like different reactions to, you know? Yeah. And then the other one, but you haven't seen it yet. So we, I don't want to harp on it. What, um, Licorice Pizza, I have very mixed feelings about. Okay. And everybody's like, oh, it's so amazing. And I just, I was like, it has amazing parts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and he definitely knows, he definitely made the movie he wanted to make. Like, yep. he's, he's, very, he's very skilled, very um, clear, autorial voice. Yep. Um, but I'm just not sure it's the movie I wanted to see. Yep. Um, and I, That's an, oh. yeah, and I'm just kind of weirded out that people, People are so outraged so easily on the internet, but for some reason, this movie, nobody seems outraged by it, even though it's about a 25-year-old and a 15-year-old in a romantic relationship. And I, I just, I, I just can't fathom why people are so easily outraged about things like a 25-year-old dating a 45-year-old. Hmm. Then you have a movie about a 25-year-old and a 15-year-old, but it's like, it's so sweet. And I'm like, Okay. I just don't like, it's not even that I'm outraged. I'm just like uh, other people's reactions are so confusing to me. Uh huh. Um, I can't, I just can't track how people feel about morality anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Fair. So, but I mean, it has a lot of sequences, but we've talked about this with Paul Thomas Anderson before. It's like, I, love his early stuff and it always sucks to be someone's like the early stuff is the best because like so many artists complain about that. <laughs> right. um but i just his 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 move away from like we've you and i have talked about this his move away from ensembles to like sole protagonist movies was very disappointing to me because so few directors are good at ensemble mm-hmm. storytelling and he was so good at it and even in this one like the movie comes alive. You haven't seen it yet, but the movie really comes alive in the cameos. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just like, why not, you know, expand your vision and make it more like a panorama of life in the seventies, as opposed to these two people only, because like literally everybody else in the movie is a cameo essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know what happened to him where his stories are so ultra focused on one person now or two yeah. people. Yep. Um, and so I just kept getting frustrated because like every time I'd be super into it, like I like, like so many of the supporting and I use supporting lightly here because it's like one scene usually, uh-huh. but um, like Bradley Cooper's, he's amazing. Um, Harriet Sampson Harris is like best in show. Like mm-hmm. by a thousand miles, she has like a really long one scene appearance, um, and I was laughing. I could not stop laughing. She was so hilarious and like and just giving you so much. Mm-hmm. She plays like an agent of like child actors, and it's like everything about it is wrong, and like every intonation, like every tiny little, it's not just a line reading, but every tiny flicker in her face is hilarious. Um, I just loved her so much. And then Skylar Gisondo, who was um, in Booksmart. As oh, the, yeah. Uh-huh. He's really, really funny as another child actor. 
he gets two scenes, so he has, you know, a little bit more than other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just like, yeah, I kept being really super into the side characters, and then they'd be gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my problem with that movie. Okay. One movie we should talk about, because I have no idea how you feel about it. I've read, you know, some of your letterbox reviews, but I don't know if you've seen Titan or what you thought of it. Oh, yeah. Um, I did. I, and I want to see that again. I think we've now, I saw it in September, whenever it was brand new and in theaters. And I think now is around the right time to go back to it. Um, Cause I think I'll be surprised by things I have forgotten instead mm-hmm. of, you know, you know, sometimes you re-see things too quickly. Um, I do like it. I didn't, I didn't love it. And um, what I remember most about my first viewing of it was like, for the first, I mean, I'm remembering it as like the first half hour, but who knows? But like where we're like serial killer rampage, fucking a car, all that stuff, <laughs> all of which were the only things I had heard the right. movie would implicate it. Um, and I got really excited about the level of anger in this character that the movie was just going to sit with. And then I kind of got like all comfortable in my, I mean, not comfortable exactly, but like I got all nestled in my seat for like, be fucking angry at me. This is exciting. Like I will, I'll, this is a lot kind of, and I'm not positive this all hangs together and I don't need, hopefully it won't be a constant stream of you like stabbing people in the temple or whatever, but like I'm here for this. And then, and then it felt like, that turned into just the premise of the movie of like, of course she's fucking pissed. Like we're taking this up to 11. So you'll know that's the foundation for everything that's going to follow. But then you watch this character be maybe not even sure what she's feeling about this pregnancy or about this relationship that becomes the most important when the movie stops having other people in it, sort of, except for these two. Um, And so then the idea that you would like, I don't know. I, it turned out that maybe I had a sort of thing in my mind that like it takes so much to be that outlandish, not just visually, but like deep dive that fully into a woman's anger that once accessed, you would just stay in it. And that movie really went somewhere else and even went to a place where neither character exactly could tell you what they're thinking. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't always as satisfying as an experience to watch. I don't know that like it all added up to me in a way that I was always grooving to, but I was so um, taken by the surprise of that. Yeah. I have. Yeah. You're speaking much more eloquently to it than, than I can, but I just, it was very stylish and I liked the visuals a lot, but I, it was <laughs> a simplistic thing to say, but it just wasn't for me. Like, yeah. I respected it, but um, I just thought, what is it saying? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I I like uh, as horror subgenres go. I like body horror. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand it more than I do like slasher horror or anything like that. And um, so I thought those elements were really well done. But I was the same, like the the gender stuff. Um, was fascinating, but I don't know what it was saying type of thing. Yeah. Um, I love Vincent Lindon though. I mean, every, haven't we, I think occasionally I've sent you a text. 
Yeah. For absolutely no reason. That sometimes <laughs> the text is just Vincent Lendl. <laughs> yes. That's amazing, what I'm thinking uh, about today. Amazing actor. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I thought his character was fascinating and shouldn't have been kind of. Yeah. Or at least the way he's initially presented to you, you're like, this is not going to be fascinating. But then he becomes yeah. the most fascinating character in the movie. Um, maybe I'll tell you this and you'll be like, you've literally told me this six times. But I think I've maybe never told you that Derek took an acting class from Vincent Lindahl when he lived. No, you've never told me that. I've never told you this. Okay, Yeah, like for months he studied like classical French acting under Vincent Lindon, who I'd never heard of until around the time I met you when like Friday night was out. And, yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, I was like, I, I'm having a weird relationship watching Vincent Lindon act this kind of character when I've gotten a little used to the kinds of characters he acts. And I can only imagine if this was my teacher and I'm like, wow, look where <laughs> he's going. Um, that would be a whole experience. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean, I really dug the movies, like, not just body horror, but it's just relationship to physicality in general. Yeah. I just, that was so interesting. Um, but I guess it was more like, yeah, it was that. It stayed at an interesting level for me, but I just didn't know that it had something important to say. Or I either think that's I was totally too, fair. Yeah. yeah. I don't even know if it was... Or maybe, maybe it wasn't trying like, to say something. It, I think it may not have had anything it wanted to say. Yeah, it, it seemed like this is... Um, more like a sensory experience feels like a movie that's coming as much from intuition as you can possibly have in this art form that requires so much decision making and negotiating and whatever but it um, I just heard for the first time a story that's like months old now I guess but about how um, that the programmer of Midnight Madness at Toronto had picked this way before Con as yeah. opening night. And then when it became the movie, it became like Tiff in general wanted to open with it. And the After Dark programmer wouldn't give it up to his boss is like the mm. skinny. And, and so then it, Tiff winds up opening instead with Dear Evan Hansen and Clifford the Big Red Dog, which oh, is no. like amazing <laughs> as a set of three movies. But... um. <laughs> But that story, which, you know, who knows what I'm getting wrong and if it's true, but it sounds like it was true, but um, made me feel like this is a movie for the Midnight Madness crowd and that's what she wanted, even in the way she made it. And that, mm-hmm. that that's not a, you know, it seems more interesting to me as like an intervention within what you think might be its own genre than it feels like this is a magnum opus of the year 2021 and we should parse out what it's saying. Um, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Um, yeah, I think something I, uh, have been maybe in a totally different movie, but I'm so curious what you, with your interests think about is the humans. Have you seen that yet? I have. Um, and you know, that's another one where I like, I like reading about it more than I like watching it. Okay. Um, I just, there was something about it that was too oppressive for me and I don't, Obviously, like the claustrophobic space is like part of the experience um, Mm -hmm. and it's supposed to be. Um, So I'm not knocking it for that, but I just felt like it was. uh, The execution didn't allow like any. There was not enough levity in the execution, I think, to to get the humor across because it's like a funny play. Mm -hmm. Um, But which you saw on stage. I did not see it on stage, but like. but it is considered a comedy, right? Mm-hmm. So 
you know, and people went on and on about how funny it was, people who, who I know who saw it. And like, I just felt like I could, I could hear the laugh lines, but like, Something about the at- he was so intent on getting across the atmosphere that I think there wasn't space for like the jokes to land. Mm. So it's like becomes this really comfortable thing where it's like witty, but it's never funny. And and then there's all this like heavy character stuff. And I guess I just like movies to have a little more range. It kind of reminded me, and this is not a good comparison, so I'm already <laughs> shooting my own comparison down. It reminded me a little bit of August Osage County in that. August Osage County on stage is fucking hilarious, right? Uh-huh. But the movie was so intent on being an important movie mm. that it just didn't have like a wide range of emotions and it was just bad. Mm. Um, but the humans is not bad, mm-hmm. but I think it's going, it, it invests so heavily in its atmosphere that it forgets to nurture, you huh. know, the, the characters. Uh huh. Um, so the character comedy, I don't think reads like it maybe should because it's so atmospheric. And I, I, I think the atmosphere is super well done, but yeah. I just don't think that maybe that should have been the entire point. I get you. But I take it you liked it since you asked about it. I, I did like it, but, um, and it's funny that you bring up August Osage because, both of those were plays that started in Chicago and I did not see either of them on stage, but mm-hmm. was so surrounded by people's conversations about them. And yeah. um, Derek saw them both on stage and was quite close to all the people who were in it and made it in the original production. Um, and so we had this whole long conversation about it yesterday, even though I didn't see it on stage and he hasn't watched the movie, but we were comparing notes kind of. And mm-hmm. August Osage came up because I remember thinking as I watched this, knowing nothing, that like this feels like somebody watched August Osage and was like, we could do this without going up to here. Like what if <laughs> what if every character had something they're eventually gonna have to vent, but it wasn't, you know, doing at eleven at all yeah. times. And it didn't even necessarily feel like the deep gothic heart of America. But mm-hmm. um and I think one reason that I'm, I'm definitely at least as much interested in the movie as I am, like I loved it, but I was really interested in it. And I think I'd assumed that the reason Stephen Karam wanted to direct it, my impulse was just that must mean he's trying to protect this from yeah. other people who he thinks would fuck it up. And then to see that, like, I think he, it seems now like he directed it so he could do something genuinely different with it. Um, and maybe like, explore his own piece in a new way which seemed really brave to me and admittedly there was stuff that I assumed was just for the film like that you're just not going to hear all of my dialogue because we're with a character who's too far away for that so it's all going to be muddied and I thought there's no way they did that on stage and then Derek explained like well actually they kind of did but um I really admired that it was um not seeming anxious or terrified about like, what if people figure out this was a play? Like, I'm so glad it didn't feel like it had to sprint away from that, but it also did feel like this is definitely a movie. Um, And I, I I liked everybody in it. Um, And I agree with you about like, if, if, if I were experiencing it in a way that I had some sense of what the other possibilities might be here, Mm -hmm this might feel a little heavy as a way to come at it. That makes sense to me, but yeah, it wasn't even that it wasn't even that I thought it was the wrong approach. It's just that it was a little too much 
Yeah. Yep, I hear you. Um, so I just found it like I was interested the whole time, but I just think, wow, this is a, a big ask for an audience because it's not funny mm. and it's not particularly dramatic. Um, mm. It's sort of like a mild version of both, but it's just so atmospheric. And mm-hmm. and a, even if people know it's a play, which, you know, its only claim to fame is that it's a famous play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's not what people are also not what people are going to expect from an adaptation of a play. So it's mm-hmm. like it's just sort of like in making yourself inaccessible in all sorts of ways. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. I, I was even thinking about like, is it the only kind of movie in the conversation right now that's on Showtime? And I thought like maybe on Hulu, if I'm cruising through or even Netflix, I'm like, this is a weird movie. How did this wind up here? If I'm on Showtime, I think I'm definitely like, what is this? Like I was just watching Dexter and now I'm, <laughs> this doesn't seem like the brand, but yeah. um, yeah, that's like probably a stupid comment. But I, I did. It made me like I was really I like getting to watch Beanie Feldstein be in a role like that. Um, more or less, I probably liked everybody in it, even though it was hard not to think about other people I also would have liked in it later. Yeah. Yeah. Can we circle all the way back to worst person in the world? Because yes. we, we dodged it a little bit. And since I'm that, I don't have like a great relationship with that filmmaker or that movie. And you have such a great relationship with both. I'm genuinely yeah. like, tell me about that. <laughs> well, then I just like feel like it's like defending something you love. It's like weird, right? You're like, don't defend it. To, I just would love to hear. I haven't read anybody write about it. And now I just like. You know, part of it, you know, I'm, I fully fess up. Part of it is just my connection to Norway. You know, I lived mm-hmm. there for a couple of years and like, so I, I like seeing Scandinavian stuff and, um, you know, I like seeing how much of the subtitles don't come through of what people are actually. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, so I'm just naturally drawn to it in that way, but I've also loved everything he's done, except for I did not see, uh, Louder Than Bombs. Hmm the one English language thing he didn't, I did not see that. Um, So, but I loved his first movie and I loved the subsequent movies, but I think this is his best movie. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I hate it when people are like, it's their best yet, you know, because it's it's so (laughs) obviously like, it's just because you just saw it. Like West Side Story is Spielberg's best. (laughs) Okay. Really? Is it? Okay. Um, Yeah. And I, it just makes me crazy when people say something is somebody's best. Um, But, that's we are. I feel like I feel in this case I'm allowed to say that because I've been following his career from the beginning mm-hmm. and I have heavily praised like especially his first movie reprise I just completely loved um, and I just I the thing I love about him is it's like it's novelist his movies are novelistic without being uh, expository or um or getting too caught up in plot. Hmm. Um, but they have all these like textures and layers that feel like internal monologue. Um, and so this one does that as well. And so the only, it, it just, I just love the depth of it. And it's like, you know, a filmmaker who's called novelistic a lot is uh, Almodovar, but hmm. in Almodovar's work, even though he's my favorite director, I feel like sometimes he errs on the side of telling you too much. Ah, uh-huh. uh huh. Because like you know, you get long sequences where people are like explaining 
stories to you or past, usually stories you aren't seeing, but like Volver has this whole section where it's a big monologue about what happened before the movie type of thing. Um, and so that happens in some of his movies. Um, and I'm just like, oh, I don't want people telling me things. I, I want to see it and feel it. Right. So this is, um, so this is my perfect example of like something novelistic, a novelistic approach to cinema that is super satisfying to me because I feel like I'm getting so, so, so much, but nobody's telling me anything. Huh. Uh-huh. Um and I just um I just thought some of it's like I don't want to spoil it because it's not out for people yet. But, oh, okay. But but some of it's um some of it's sort of more fanciful passages. Um let me just call it the coffee break. When a character uh-huh. coffee break. Yep. It is until you see it, I don't want to spoil what happens, but it's just like that to me felt like one of the truest sequences I've ever seen in a movie um, of of like this is what it's like to not be in the place that you're in. Uh-huh. And like your head your head is just not there. Mm-hmm. Like your body may be in one place, but your emotions, your head, you're just elsewhere. And you know there's there's something to be said for presenting something that I just never see in movies. Um, I just was found it so thrilling and it's uh-huh. so funny. And like all the characters are, um, are really interesting and they have, you know, layers. <laughs> I just, I, I, I don't know what to say about it other than I just so impressed, not just, not just like the screenplay, but the performances like Anders Danielson Lee, who's remarkable in pretty much everything, you know, he's been in is the best he's ever been in this. Mm-hmm. And that his whole, he has a speech toward the end of the movie about, you know, analog, you mm-hmm. know, life before the modern world. That's just like for anybody who's like over, say, 40, they're going to hear that speech and be like devastated by it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, p- there people do all, you know, dramas often do things about generation gaps and, you know, and you know nostalgia and play with that, but I I've rarely felt it be that feel that authentic and not forced into a movie. Like uh-huh. it read it read completely with the characters and the situation. Um, I don't know what was holding you back about it. Like at some level, it's the it's just the other side of the coin of what you're saying. Like, there's clearly something about this filmmaker that I just don't gel with because it keeps not happening. And yet I keep thinking, you know, sometimes you just decide, like, this is not the right person for me. I need to right. stop watching Abel Ferrara movies, you know, like that's whatever. Me with, that's me with Han Sang Ho. Oh, OK. There we go. Yeah. Um, um, and and yet this time I always think like everything about it is like the kind of thing I would usually be interested in. Like, I bet the next one might be when it finally happens. So I kind of keep coming to them with optimism. Yeah. And, and even having reacted pretty coolly to this one, it's definitely in that, like, you know, those, those movies where you're like, I, I'm just going to be on the outside of this party and I'm not seeing that again. And, and then that's sometimes one that you're like, I actually can't wait for another shot at this. Um, yeah. Which is where that one is. Um, I'm going to stick where you are with the, let's not like ruin this for people, but like the, the other relationship that she winds up in mm-hmm. that's, that to me winds up being most interesting because of what a freak out it constitutes in relationship to the actual bond that she's in. Right. Okay. Um, 
I never believed that relationship. And I did not oh, believe okay. the degree of trouble she was going to, even in her fantasy life, which you alluded to, um, that it it felt like I don't need this movie to present these as two equal options and now she's torn because even just my level of interest in what's happening um, mm. is so suppressed in one case. Okay. And I do feel like he's a filmmaker who does... The filmmaker he reminds me of, it's interesting that you brought in Almodovar. I always think this is like Norwegian Desplechins. Okay. Another person no, I think fair. of is like super novelistic, yeah. uh, but also really cinematic. Yeah. Um, but I think when Desplechins decides to show off a little bit is usually when I'm really excited. And then I sort of get a little bogged down in the like day-to-day interactions of his characters, which I wind up not being able to remember very well when the movie's over a lot of the time. And Trier is kind of the opposite of that for me. And and definitely in this case, like it starts with one of these like rapid cut, we're covering a lot montage sequences that I feel like he's started with at least once before in his career. And it's starting to feel like that his first movie is that. that, Yeah. Yeah. And so that felt a little bit like, um, I think he pauses and shows off at times where I'm like, but this was embarrassing. <laughs> like this is, you're doing your thing that you're so in your wheelhouse. And if the movie had started after that whole sequence, I'm sure I would have liked it better. Um, not just because I didn't, I felt like he was repeating himself, but none of the things we learned about her and the lives she's ostensibly had before the moment we really spend time with her I did not feel like any of that stuck to her. I don't believe you used to be a surgeon. There's nothing about you that suggests that's been part of your life. I don't really believe that you're a photographer. Like it just felt like a series of kind of empty claims that the movie was always most interesting to me in the scenes that I don't think Desplechins really good at. Like when she has this long argument with the Anders Danielson Lee character that has some pretty, you know, it causes a rupture for a while. I thought like, what a good fight between people this age like they're not just gratuitously trying to hurt each other but they are hurting each other and like, yeah no yeah everything about that fight felt like the voice of experience and and as opposed to the prologue or as opposed to the sequence that resonated so much for you i felt like why do you keep dressing something up with all these conceits when the best thing you have going for you is you've got two lead actors who are pretty interested in their characters and um, and I want to say too, this was a movie that it got the cinematography prize at the Chicago Film Festival, and that's not the thing I think you walk out of a movie necessarily thinking about. Yeah. And that was one of those really great jury moments where I felt like I'm being taught by people who watch movies differently than I do how tricky it is to light the film so that it will be as character driven and give the movie a certain tonality, which I yeah. think is totally fair, and it would never have occurred to me. So, um. Now that I know what to expect, I think I might go in thinking a little bit more like, let me yeah. engage with the parts of the movie that really moved me. But I felt kind of put off by a lot of the presentation. That's, I mean, that's interesting that the beginning threw you because I, it's one of the funniest parts of the movie. So it cues you in. And I think dramedy is sometimes hard for people in that you're allowed to laugh even when things are serious. Yep. And so, like, starting with something overtly comic, I think, is a way to cue people into, like, this movie's funny, 
even though yep. it's dealing with heavy things. Yep. Um, so, but also, I, like, I don't, I, I understand your reservations about, like, her past lives, because for those who haven't seen it, it's not really a spoiler, the very first scene, yeah. she's just changing her major constantly in college. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just to show you that she's kind of still forming as a person. So like, but she also, I, like, I mean, she works in these fields for a long time, right? It's not just like I changed my major no, from last no, week. No, no, she's a like, student the whole time. Okay. So, um, but so to me, that didn't bother me at all that I didn't see that later on because the whole point was that she was, she's this evolving, very young person who thinks she knows what she wants but doesn't know what she wants. Mm-hmm. So it's like it didn't bother me that none of that stuck because that's kind of how people cycle through identities when they're in college. Yeah. I mean, that's how I took it. But. Yeah, I see that. And, like, you know, I I have an up-close view of that, like, every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it sort of was like that story from, like, Marathon Man, you know, where Dustin Hoffman's like, I ran all night, and then I pulled my own tooth. And Lawrence Livy is like, oh, you could act it. You know, we're here <laughs> acting. Like, And I felt like I'm getting this from her Yeah. without you going to such elaborate lengths in ways that feel like the best thing I do as a filmmaker is like kind of create these characters that the actors will not ostentatiously act them. They will really inhabit them. So why are you getting in front of your own movie? It's like, you can't help it. And, and I also don't believe anything you tell me when you do this stuff. Like, wow. um, Yeah. We have very different reactions. Let them do it. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And Uh, he's so handsome and he seems so nice. So I feel bad. He is very handsome in that. <laughs> Although I am so embarrassed that I, each time I, I've met him like three times and I like I always end up I this time I didn't this last time I didn't try Norwegian. But the first two times I met him, I tried Norwegian. I was a little embarrassed afterwards. <laughs> Why? Because my Norwegian is so not, you know, it was many. It was like 20 years ago when I lived there. So like, well, yeah. And but I, I will say the only thing I've retained is that I can still get like little, like I still look at subtitles when I watch a Norwegian movie, but like sometimes little inflections and the line readings and stuff, I'm like, Oh, you wouldn't get that unless you understood Norwegian. Oh, I bet. Uh-huh. And so like it, it brings up something to me. I've heard people say, but not many people that it's like really hard to judge acting in languages that are not your own. Mm-hmm. Um, because line readings, like you have no, you have a little bit of sense of what they're doing based on their tone and stuff, but like, it's not like you think about some of your favorite performances, you're going to be able to specifically remember how they said certain words. I'm sure. You yeah. Know? And like, and just little things about when intakes of breath are or whatever, things that are specific to like that language. Yep. Or if somebody overemphasizes a certain word, like I can catch that where I, I couldn't catch that if I was watching something in Spanish, say. Absolutely. Um, so, so that's fun for me about those movies. And there was like a lot of that that doesn't come direct, even if the translation's good, it doesn't really come out that way. I bet that's right. You know, I mean, it just seems like the kind of movie that would be driven by exactly that stuff. Yeah. Uh, um, is, is there anything that's available to stream right now that people just don't know about or that you're like, I, I wish everybody would watch prayers for the stolen, even though I can't, it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Right. Yeah. Um, so I really wish they would watch it, even though almost everything I like about it, I'm so glad I saw that in the theater. Um, 
the sound yeah. is incredible and you don't know where it's coming from and and it's um, very like it's you know I always have this trouble with I like I bless Netflix for giving a platform for a lot of these things but at yeah. the same time a lot of the things they give a platform to are they the right platform for it yeah yeah because like it's so like press was stolen is so atmosphere again yes. and the atmosphere works so much better in a movie theater because you sort of are immersed in it yeah um yeah no that one that one um which is mexico's oscar submission is available on netflix um what else is available right now um we haven't talked about tick tick boom oh yeah um Which I found totally disarming and like I'm not the viewer this movie is anticipating and I'm going to have to get over myself on a couple of things I don't usually like. <laughs> and and it happened. But it's not like the movie's job should be to like win over the bad voter, you know, like whatever. But like <laughs> I, I just the level of um, sincerity in that and um, genuine dedication to that character and his journey without making him seem fantastic or like it wasn't like a hard sell on like what an easy guy to love like but it also wasn't like what an asshole that you can't help loving a little bit like it it just felt like yeah didn't do any of those didn't do any of those tropes like you have to be difficult to be brilliant or anything like that just like no he's just a difficult person yes and he also happens to be brilliant yep so so like um no but uh this is one of the rare movies where we both fully reviewed this year and i highly suggest everyone looks at Nick's uh, letterbox review of Tick, Tick, Boom, because, like, your review really resonated with me. Like, everything that you said, I'm like, yes, yes. Oh, I was, oh I was great, doing, okay. Like, I was doing, like, amen the whole time. Like, I was in church. <laughs> and and this will just sound like I'm forcing it because of where we just were, but that movie, which is definitely also, a, like, it feels like when you think you have to do a big thing, you maybe could have been talked out of doing that big thing, but I just didn't care, you know? Yeah. I'm like you're kind of high on this whole project and I don't blame you for it made me rethink like, so why was I so churlish about Joaquin Trier doing the same thing? But yeah. Um, yeah. I really liked it. I really liked Andrew Garfield. I really. Uh, I mean, it's, it's uh, like, as you, as you said in, in your review and I alluded to, but I didn't quite go there was it's very uh, patchy. Um, yeah. But that's, it's ragged sort of spontaneous qualities are like qualities. Yep. But they come with the downside of it's very uneven and raggedy. <laughs> yep. It feels very tossed together, which is something that's charming about it, but also not at the same time. Yes. Because you, like, I kept being like, oh, this is so cute or such a fun idea, but maybe if it had been finessed a little type of thing. Yeah. And I, I know we disagree about this movie, but it worked for me better than in the heights which also feels very patchy to me um in execution and in its text but is presented as like a fully polished ready yeah. to conquer object and yeah. um and tick tick boom kind of hit a better spot for me mm. i mean they're they really are interesting pieces, but... they're very interesting uh comparisons in that way though since yeah. they're both musicals and they're both lin man man manuel miranda involved <laughs> yeah um um, I'm trying to see what else. Uh, Velvet Underground on Apple TV. If people have Apple TV, they should watch that. Mm-hmm. Todd Haynes documentary. I'm not a big documentary person, but of course I love Todd Haynes. And I I thought that was really a fascinating way to do a documentary. Speaking of collage, mm-hmm. um, 
Like that really worked for me. Did you like it? I did, but I felt like this is, it's clear to me that this movie is for the fans. And yeah, yeah. Um, I don't mind when I'm like, you've let me know I'm a guest here. I'll learn what I can learn. I don't know anything <laughs> about this. This is yeah, not music yeah. I like intuitively respond to, but yeah, do one for the fans. And like, yeah, it was interesting to me. I didn't love it and it felt a little long, but yeah. Well, you know my feeling about a little long. I could, but like I feeling could, long and being long feel pretty I know, I could me. say that about 90% of the things I saw this year. Even things I loved, like Worst Person in the World. Yeah. The only the only movie that's over two hours this year where I was like, okay, I'll give you that is Power of the Dog. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, because I just feel like it's, even though it's over two hours, it is so tight. Like, it's constructed, like, I don't think people would use this word about it, but once you see it several times, it is like so tightly constructed. Yeah. If anything, I wish there was like one more scene. Hmm. Um, like I don't feel like there's any fat in the movie. Yep. Um, one, maybe the obverse of that comment for me is like Belfast for me was such a, like, this is what happens when you get so determined to have a compact 98 minute movie that you leave out at least six scenes that, the movie Might have been begging to have. Yeah. Like was it Tim or Guy who was like this movie like runs away as soon as it starts feeling interest as soon as it gets interested in something, it runs away from it. <laughs> oh, I didn't I I don't know, but that yeah. seems true. Yeah. Or as soon as it approaches a dramatic thing, it's like no no. Yeah, uh, I find it hard to say beyond like I can tell this is, you know, obviously like personally resonant for him i mean mm -hmm. which is enough in some ways but like i'd be hard pressed to say what is interesting to him about his own childhood like i'm not sure where the core of what he most cared about how hot his parents were <laughs> score <laughs> yeah i mean come on yeah like, that's a very glamorous I, I i like the movie i i totally get why people aren't you know why people why it's polarizing a little bit. And I think the polarization comes from all the hype. Yeah. As opposed to the movie. Cause the movie is just kind of like a harmless little cute nostalgia thing. Yep. Um, it doesn't really deserve your scorn. I don't think that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, does it deserve a ton of Oscars? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, Oh, I was or just... possibly any Oscars. Like that's right. okay. Oh, too. so, Oh, so we have to talk about, um, so I alluded to this and everybody's like, release the text. Cause I made a little joke about that. You texted me after you saw Spencer. Oh, I did. <laughs> and I true. said it was exactly the text I needed to receive that. Night. Release the Kraken, release the text. Um, so like we should wrap up, but this is like, we'll end with Spencer. So I you need to say, tell the, tell them what you texted me. I believe what I texted you was, here's some cheesecake, but don't worry, we have deconstructed the cheesecake. <laughs> that is exactly what you texted me, and I laughed so much. Um, I, I literally LOL'd <laughs> when I saw the text. Rack one up for me. I'm thrilled to hear it. Yeah, yes. that's another one where I'm trying to think now, like, this happened with Jackie also, where the first time I watched it, I was just like, I'm, I'll just, fuck you. What is this? Why? <laughs> I understand this is a different way to look at this completely oversaturated person. 
But that doesn't mean I think you've added anything to this conversation, and nor do I think that means you made a good movie just because you were like, what if I go left when you thought I go right? Like, yeah. And I'm trying to sit a little bit more with whatever. That's a movie where I've been very interested to read some other people's responses, even though I don't share them, um, which were more positive. But it just, I also feel like even in the positive reviews there are whole parts of the movie they don't talk about it's like okay sure but do you remember that she went to like her old house and it was kind of haunted and completely dumb <laughs> like what about everything else in this movie that's just like screamingly obvious and i, I just don't know what you're saying to us um yeah. except that you wanted to make a weirdo eccentric speculation like okay yeah and i feel I, like I i'm right back where i started i found like the ending so garishly overcalculated. Yes. That I get that it's supposed to be a tonal shift. I get it. I get what you're doing. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that I have to think that it was worth doing. Yes. Or worth doing in that way. Yes. Because it's just so like the sort of like giddiness of it and the sort of like running around. It just like the whole movie was so grating to me. I just really, really did not like that movie. And after a whole movie where even though I wasn't responding well, it felt like these feel like a lot of gut level experiments. Let's try this and see what happens. Like the ending felt like, okay, this is why the title is the title. Check. This is a pop song that seems incongruous, but we have decided to experiment with check. Like there was just (laughs) such a, like how to goose your audience. Yeah. um, Excite film Twitter. Like, agenda to that ending and well, also it like worked. it worked i guess but like um it also seemed really invested in i mean even if it was temporary in her life and maybe that mattered i don't know despite the world's desire to teach me things about her for 30 years i still don't care and don't know but well see that was my other thing with it too it's like with with jackie i felt like even though i don't I, I'm not someone who worships celebrities outside of film. Yeah. Period. Unless maybe pop stars from my youth, because I'm human being and that's what human beings do. <laughs> so like, um, so I just don't care about celebrities that aren't involved in movies ever. Like, so, yeah. so like, I don't have any feelings about Jackie O. I have no feelings about Princess Diana other than like, do I have to keep hearing about them? Those, that's the only feelings I have. So like, so like I went into it, you know, because like, even if you don't want to know anything about these people, even if you don't care, you're, you know, everything because like people just won't shut up. Yep. So like, I just, I also came away with like, why are you trying to make her? Cause one of the things that, that comes through a lot with Princess Diana narratives and stuff is that everybody thinks she's this like perfect humanitarian and like this fragile beauty that must be protected at all costs, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet I just did not like her. Yeah. The movie at all. Like I thought she was rude. I thought she was like so neurotic, like that even a romantic comedy wouldn't have her. Like, Mm -hmm. so like, I just don't like everything about it was so off putting to me that I was just like, but not in an interesting way. Like, whereas with Jackie, the off-putting nature felt like something that would naturally come from somebody in that environment. 
Oh, I see. Whereas okay. this just felt like you're just speculating that she was an asshole to her staff. Like, I don't, I, I just, I just, I, I couldn't with the whole movie. And I thought it was like, even the stuff that was impressive, like the cinematography and uh, the costumes, you know, even some of that, I was just like, but to what end? <laughs> this yeah. is like the, the, the problem I have with like only giving things awards when they're beautiful. Um, yeah. That's not, beauty is not always a worthy end goal. Yeah, totally. Nor is like, um, just sheer idiosyncrasy, which is what I would say about the score, which I laughed at multiple times, both that it was, I, I get what Johnny Greenwood's wheelhouse is. I know this is what he'll provide if asked, but the relationship to self parody seemed pretty profound there. And also like <laughs> this didn't make it an interesting scene that somebody's like plunking on that piano or doing whatever. You're all showing me that you're interested in mannerism. Okay. This felt like a jam session that did not pay off for me and ended with some like, don't worry. She was liberated when she left that castle that day. Like I, I think she wasn't <laughs> <laughs> like the impression I've gotten over time is not that. Um, maybe she felt good that day, but it doesn't feel like it bears being the culmination. Yeah, and even like, I don't know, I just found the whole thing, like I I tried to temper my opinion a little bit in my review, which I should not have done, but like the further I get away from the movie, the more I disliked it. Okay. Like, I even like hate the whole thing with the Sally Hawkins character. Oh, God. Like that yeah. whole like reveal about how she's in love with her and the way Diana Rea it just felt so condescending something about it felt felt so condescending to me in general. Yep. And and the the really strange thing about this is like I actually generally like his work and I know you don't exactly. Well I, I have until these last two liked his work okay. a lot. And so like I even like it when he, well, it's not tr in true across the board. Like I didn't respond well to Tony Monero, but like hmm. I, um, like Ema, for example, which a lot of people didn't like, I just loved how unlikable it was. Mm -hmm. I just loved that everybody was like somebody I hated. Like there, there was something about it. Like, and it was the same way with the, the club, was it? Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, everyone in this movie is hateful, and yeah, I'm really into this movie. It's so interesting. And like, yeah. But in this case, I was like, I don't like anyone in this movie, and I feel like that's a failure. On some I, level. That might be one of the only things we disagree about, because one of the few things I was grateful for was that she was unlikable in the moments when she was, which was kind of often. Um because yeah. I really didn't want to watch her be this paragon who was being wronged by this shitty family. Um, but but what I definitely didn't feel like I needed was to have everybody in this cast of characters submitted for my review again about do I like them or not? Am I sympathetic to them or not? Like, could we talk about something else? I was seven the first time you asked me this. I'm tired of taking this quiz. I don't think you have anything else to tell me about what this was all the like. royal family and diana yeah, and all, that. all yeah. of it and like ema i think i shared your reaction like i found that to be a pretty frustrating experience yeah but but i don't mind 
you know, I mean, I, at some level, I don't even mind it about Spencer. Like, if you've just made a movie about a completely concocted, not even meant to be all that plausible person and just experimented with how you could push her around stylistically, mm-hmm. and now you want to try that with somebody we all know, and I'm revealing I don't really, but like, <laughs> like the back of our hands, like, sure, try it. I might really hate it. When artists say, like, I'd rather, like, try something and fail than not try anything, like, I think that has to be true sometimes. And, like, this yeah. helps me, like, an experiment that just did not yield anything. Um, I'd rather watch it than, like, the monstrous version of it. If you wanted to squeeze a secret out of me, you would force me to watch a six-hour movie about the Beatles in their rehearsal room. I would tell you anything you wanted to know to get me out of this predicament. Like, there are certain people I think we should just lock them in a box for 30 years and nobody's allowed to talk about them anymore. Give us a break. But so at least Spencer tried something. I just, I just hated almost everything it tried. I didn't even like the cinematography. I did like the costume. Yeah. So that was, <laughs> that's our negative ends to a delightful conversation. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's end on, end on something happy. Well, like, Oh, Zola. Love. Just let's end on Zola. Love. Yep. So is there a movie this year with more memorable line readings than Zola? <laughs> no! <laughs> no, there's like not. Every single thing about all of the actors in this, like I, I saw it for the second time recently at a Zola party at the Metrograph, and which was so fun to see it again. And like everyone in the movie is like, is like nailing their part. Like Riley knows the way she says, and stuff and like yes and all of her intonations like she's this like cracked up baby doll like it she's so wrong that she's right and like and taylor page is exactly the kind of (laughs) reserved but but puncture scenes in just the right way like Mm -hmm. in that crazy scene where they're driving and they're all singing along and then Oh no, and when they're watching a YouTube video and they're just like screaming with laughter and she's like, word. Mm-hmm. And she's so uncomfortable. <laughs> There's just so many funny things in the movie and everybody is perfect. And like not to force a connection to Spencer, but I feel like Zola's what it looks like when every single scene felt like everybody came with ten ideas. Yeah. And it it served every scene and it makes the other scenes interesting. Like, is Stephanie going to keep talking like this in the one interlude where we seem to be in her headspace, though we'll definitely not. This, this is yeah. definitely Zola thinking what it would be like to be in Stephanie's headspace. But um, <laughs> I, I remember reading some kind of frustrated reviews that were like, but the Twitter feed was so exuberant and so hilarious and fun. And I don't understand getting saddled with a Zola who's so internal. And it's like, well, so you, I don't know. Like, do you think that somebody who's thinking about the experience she's having in that wild way is necessarily reflecting all of that? And isn't it kind of like a fun challenge to not ask this young black female protagonist to be affectively demonstrative at all times, which has turned, you know, can be such a like back fighting cliche. And, um, because telling a story is much different than living it. Yes. And like sounds where's the camera? What are we doing? Like just everything in that movie feels so creative. And, and also it's, it doesn't seem like those filmmakers would fall apart. If you said like, I didn't really, I questioned this decision. They'd be like, Ooh, talk to me about that. Like yeah, it's yeah. the vibe that I think that movie gives off. And 
that was one where I, I do have to say I found a lot of the critiques kind of unpersuasive. There are others that I think are really interesting, but like I just read a couple of like, I think Riley Keough is engaging in cultural appropriation. I'm like, I think he's doing that. <laughs> yeah, right. Which I think the movie is pretty clear about. Yeah. Um, and I think I just taught that movie also. It's, I've seen it like four times now. And like, there's just stuff like in that shitty hotel room when there's like, there's like seeing one room and there's like two ceiling fans and a fan on the floor, which like, I get it that it's hot in Florida, but I'm clear none of these fans work. And every time anybody's called, they've just brought another one. You're like, there's just so, or like we get to be in Stephanie's bedroom once before they go on this trip. And it's like, there's no baby here. Like you can keep talking about this child that this is all for, but you had your shot to show me you give a shit and you definitely don't. You don't even fold the laundry. Like, um, uh, that movie just repays endless rewatching. It's, yeah. it's almost certainly my favorite American movie that came out this year. I have plenty still to see, but I'll be amazed yeah. if it gets toppled. Yeah. It's so, it's such a joy. And even, even the parts that aren't joyful, really work you know like yes how scary like coleman demio can flip on a dime and go from you know being charming to like super scary on a dime and like his like i've heard people complain about the accent work yeah but why does his accent change why does it change back and like what's his real voice i'm like but that doesn't indeed matter because the whole point is that he's (laughs) it doesn't matter what which one is the real voice yeah you know, and like the first time that happens is, I think the first time we're situated in his point of view, like looking directly at her while she's yeah like terrified, and it's like of all the moments to make us be him when we have no idea who this could possibly be. Yeah, um, there's just so many kind of dares to the audience that I just find really gutsy. And yes, this is a incredibly sad and upsetting story that has been passing as a comedy for a while and that's a high wire act yeah and even like anything everything around like realizing that stephanie's done this before too is so Mm -hmm. well handled because it's not it's not uh repetitively like uh underlined like it's in there in the text and then it colors what you're thinking of it, but they don't keep repeating it. Yep. You know, so there's just, you know, tons of stuff like that. I just love that movie. Me too. Um, so I'm glad we agree on that. Happy tidings. <laughs> so thank you to Nick uh, for finally coming back. Thank you to you for accepting my self invitation to your house. <laughs> Can I please um, come over so we can talk? <laughs> and also, um, for those of you who are like, where is Nick? He does still post on Letterboxd. Yeah, and I'm doing kind of to get my crap together over this break to at least start putting more of that back on my actual site, too. So it's not just yeah. hiding on Letterboxd. But it turned out for a while, like, I just don't want any social media buzz around me that's not about a movie and what the 10 people I'd be interested in any day, <laughs> what they have to say, have to say. But, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Happy movie watching, everyone. Okay, I got to run because I have a movie okay. to do today. Oops, um, sorry. Okay. But uh, I'm seeing Don't Look Up today. Ooh, okay. Directors that I don't 
jibe with. Totally respond to. Yep. Yeah. And House of Gucci, we didn't talk about that. It's bad. I really want to not have to see that. And you know what I mean. Like, please. I do. And that's why when it took the NBR for Best Actress, I was like, are we really doing this? Wait, really? Or not not NBR, uh, New York Film Critics Circle. What? I didn't even know they'd already announced. Yeah, yesterday. Lady Gaga won Best Actress. And it's, to me, it's one of their more embarrassing choices. She was good, but she was good within a very bad movie that didn't, like, good is not worth giving a Best of the Year prize to. Yeah. Like, she she understands, like, I think she could have been great in a in a good movie. <laughs> like, but it's, I, I was actually shocked, Nick, that it's just so bland. And that was the last thing I was expecting from it. Yeah. Because well, after all the money in the world, I was like, uh, you gave yourself a million hours to tell me nothing about this scenario. And this just looked like that again. Yeah, I was just really surprised. I was like, Jared Leto is one of the worst performances I've ever seen in my life. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. And, um, but of course he's getting kudos already too. Oh, at least Lady Gaga is like definitely the best part of the movie. Okay. Um, cause she's having fun with it. And if you're going to be in a bad movie, have fun with it. Yeah. Um, and she's totally having fun. You could tell. Okay. And like Jared Leto's having fun too, but at, at my expense. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to leave it there because you can't top that.